0: Oh, Shabbat Shalom. When I first moved to Chicago, I joined uh, Temple Shalom. And I was working in a Sunday school with little kids. And there was a song that we used to sing. It was, if you're Jewish and you know it, clap your hands. If you're Jewish and you know it, clap your hands. If you're Jewish and you know it. If you're Jewish and you know it. If you're Jewish and you know it, you know it clap your hands. Thank you. Um, That song is probably more applicable to me today than it was then. Because today, as a believer in Yeshua, it's very important for me to know that I am still Jewish. I'll argue that you can't be fully Jewish unless you know who Yeshua is. We definitely can't be called Israel unless we know who the promised Messiah is and the promised Messiah has come. The big picture for today's sermon is that being a follower of Yeshua does not negate us as being Jewish or as being Israel. A lot of people think that the law has changed, that what it used to be doesn't apply anymore. It's just not true. I'll show the uh, next couple of minutes several examples about the, uh, how the Sabbath has not changed from Saturday to Sunday. How the dietary laws have not changed. That keeping the holidays and the holy days is still relevant. And that life as Jewish people is still important and should still carry on. I will argue and this would be very probably very controversial, that more of the today's church, more of the traditions, more of the way it is followed, has been created by Emperor Constantine than it has by Yeshua or his apostles. A very wise old man once said that the church has taken the religion, Jesus did not come to create a new religion. The church has taken the religion of Jesus and turned it into a religion about Jesus. That wise old sage was Barry Isaacson. Um, and I'll show today from, uh, new, from the New Testament scriptures that the law hasn't changed. In Matthew 7.23, Yeshua says that only those who do the will of my Father enter heaven. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Get away from me, you workers of lawlessness. To be a worker of lawlessness means you are going against the Torah. You are sinning. There's a great, great, let's turn, if you want to, to Colossians two sixteen seventeen, 17. Which is right here. Therefore, do not let anyone pass judgment on you in matters of food or drink, or in respect to a festival, or new moon, or Shabbat. These are are a foreshadowing of things to come, but the reality is Messiah. Those words, do not let anyone pass judgment on you in matters of food or drink, or respect to festivals or the new moon or Shabbat, sounds very much as if they're saying the law has been changed. And there are a lot of people who follow that, who believe that. There are a lot of churches who teach that. That you no longer have to listen to uh, the law as far as different holidays or following the new moon or following Shabbat. Which is great if you don't read the entire passage. If you take the text out of the context... You are left with a con. I made that up and I thought that was very, very good. Take the text out of context. You're left with con. with a con. Look at that chapter, verse 8. See that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men and the basic principles of the world rather than Messiah. What they're talking about in the Colossians at that time, in Colossae, that there were a lot of philosophers, a lot of people following uh, the Greek philosophy who were trying to tell the Jews and the believing Gentiles that their laws don't apply. And Paul is writing, don't let these people influence you. He is not forming a new church. He is not forming a concept where we don't have to listen to what Torah told us that's the way it's applied today it's wrong there's a false teaching by the non-religious leaders is what this section is about not about changing any of our laws in Acts 21 let me, let's turn to that if you want to I have all these pages marked off. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had a Bible sitting by me, and I had all these pages marked off, and Barry sat down next to me and said, oh, what are all these pages inside the Bible? So i would taking them all out, so I keep it up here now. Um, in 21, 20 through 21... they have been told about you now uh, they're talking this is uh, James talking to uh, Paul they have been told about you that you teach all the Jewish people among the Gentiles to forsake Moses telling them not to circumcise their children or to walk according to the customs what's to be done then no doubt they will hear that you have come the idea is that there was a false rumor about Paul that he was teaching people against Torah today the church takes that false accusation and turns it into their basic philosophy that Torah has been eliminated James sits down on um, verses 22 and comes up with a plan so do what we tell you he's saying to Paul we have four men who have a vow on themselves. Take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so they may shave their heads. Somehow shaving your head isn't a good idea to me. That way all will realize there is nothing to the things they have been told about you. But you yourself walk in the orderly manner, keeping the Torah, black and white, Paul is keeping the Torah. They're going out of their way to show everybody that Paul is a Torah keeper. Yet, in churches today, the basic theory is that Paul was the first convert, that Paul changed from Judaism to Christianity, and he brought a lot of people with him. Black and white. That didn't happen. Well the big, big argument is uh, that the Sabbath has been t- changed from Saturday to Sunday. Never happened. Uh, if you look at Acts 20, verse 7. Now, on the first day of the week, we gather to break bread. Paul was talking with them intending to leave the next day so he prolonged his speech till midnight. There were many lamps in the upper chamber where he was meeting. Now a young man named Eutychus and by the way Eutychus is translated into Barry Isaacson in English. No, no. Don't laugh. You'll see why this is true. Was sitting in a windowsill sinking into a deep sleep, which he does almost every week. As Paul kept on talking, yeah, there he goes, overcome by sleep, he fell from the third story and was picked up dead. That's one heck of a nap. People, though, I have argued with many, many people on the line. Now on the first day of the week, We gathered to break bread. People say, Oh, look, it's no longer the seventh day of the week. They were gathering on the first day of the week. Yeah, not at ten o'clock in the morning like a Sunday morning would be. They were gathering that night. There were many lamps in the room. Somebody was falling asleep. The idea that Paul spoke until midnight. He didn't start at ten o'clock in the morning and spoke all the way to midnight. He started in the evening. It was Havdalah. Of course they gathered. You know, I was trying to look up to um, see when haftalah was practiced, uh, when it officially started. I couldn't find it. I looked in about four or five different books. They all talked about haftalah, but nobody said when the practice started. Um, but the point is, the Sabbath was over. They gathered to bake, break bread and to discuss. Um, today, we could say they gathered on the third day or the fourth day of the week. A lot of people gather on Wednesday evenings to have a Bible study doesn't mean Wednesday evening begins the Sabbath. It just means we gather more than one day a week. However, the church has taken that phrase and turned it into their major uh, thoughts about the Sabbath should be kept on Sunday rather than Saturday. Complete misconception. Another misconception regarding days is found in Romans 14 Romans, let me go to page Romans fourteen five through six. Important one. One person esteems one day over another, while another judges every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes that day does so to the Lord. The one who eats eats to the Lord. he gives thanks to God, and the one who abstains, abstains to the Lord. And he gives thanks to God. Now, in the beginning it talks about one person esteems one day over the other. That can justify the idea of a Sunday Sabbath rather than a Saturday Sabbath. Not true. It only works if you take that verse out of context. If you read the beginning of chapter 14... Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of dispute about options. Not about dispute, you accepting him, but not so that you can dispute with him. One person has faith to eat anything, but the weak eats only vegetables. Don't let the one who eats disparage the one who does not eat. And don't let the one who does not eat judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servants? Uh, who are you to judge another servant? Before his own master, he stands or falls. Yes, he shall stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. What was going on is that people were upset about eating food sacrificed to idols. So some people, meat sacrificed idols. So some people were eating only vegetables. This way they would avoid the possibility of eating meat that was sacrificed to an idol. And Paul was saying, don't judge these people. If their faith is a little weak and if they're trying to make sure they cover all the bases, who are you to judge them? But people will take this passage, one person esteems one day over another, and forget that they're talking about fast days it to the Sabbath. And therefore, say, oh, the Sabbath has been changed to Sunday. It hasn't. So anybody who goes to a church on Sunday, I will argue, is doing something wrong. If God declares that the Sabbath is the seventh day, who is man to say, no, but changing it to the first? There's absolutely nothing wrong with worshiping God, praying to God more than one day a week. A lot of people here I know go to a, go here, a synagogue on Saturday and you go to a church on Sunday. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, we should go to a service every day. But don't think that that first day of the week is a Sabbath. It's a good day to pray. It's a good day to gather. It's a good day to learn. It's a good day to share. But don't call it the Sabbath. Now, Here comes the biggest misconception of all, and I have lost friends over this one. It's about the dietary laws. One of the most important things I remember is is we define ourselves in many ways. by We don't eat pork, we don't eat shrimp, we don't eat lobster. We have certain dietary laws. Um... I remember in Hebrew school as a young boy hearing stories about people who were killed because they would not eat pork. It was either eat pork or die, and they decided to die. But when the temples were defiled, they always brought in a pig. There's an interesting reason why pigs, of all animals, of all unclean animals, why the pig is the worst. The dietary laws say that you have to eat an animal that has a split-hoof and chews its cud. A pig has a split hoof, but it does not chew its cud. What's interesting about that is that on the outside, what people see, he's clean. His hoof is split. But on the inside, the part of him that is not seen, he is not clean, because he doesn't chew his cud. So you have this animal who gives a great affront that he, oh, look at me, I'm clean, and deep down inside, he isn't. That's a great example of what most people do. We all have, and you know, you should have talked about this a lot, about people you know, cleaning the outside of the cup and leaving the inside of the cup dirty. Uh, a lot of us will put on a great show, but deep down inside, when we're alone, or in our hearts, when we're thinking, we will do something that's unclean. That's why the pig is such a bad example. If you turn to Mark 7, 18 to nineteen, and he said to them This is Yeshua speaking, are you then also lacking understanding? Don't you grasp what ever goes in, Don't you grasp that whatever goes into the man cannot make him unholy? For it does not enter into the heart, but into the stomach. And then goes out in the sewer, cleansing all foods. There's usually a, a parenthetical expression after this, where it says, thus he declared all foods clean. He is not talking about kosher and non-kosher, clean and unclean foods. Two things to note. The first which I always point out is that it's this sentence says all foods clean. The word is foods. It's not all animals clean. When I go to somebody's home and they're having me over for dinner and I see their cat or their dog, I don't think to myself right away, ooh, I bet that dog's gonna be delicious. I can't wait till I eat that cat. The dog and the cat are not food. So if he declares all food clean, there's a whole array of animals that are not included in that. If you look at the beginning of that chapter, lines 1 through 6, Now the Pharisees and some of the Torah scholars who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Yeshua, and they saw that some of his disciples were eating bread with unclean hands. That is not washed. For the Pharisees and all Jewish people do not eat unless they wash their hands, up to the elbow, keeping the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they perform a ritual washing. There are many other traditions that have received and hold, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels. Then the Pharisees and the Torah scholars questioned Yeshua, why don't your disciples walk according to the tradition of the elders? Why do they eat bread with unwashed hands? The the question here isn't why are they eating unclean food? The question is why are they eating food without washing their hands? This has been hideously changed around in the church today to apply to whether or not a food can be eaten whether pigs or shrimp or lobster or anything else can be eaten it's not what the passage is about and Yeshua was very clever in his remarks when he said it's what goes into him it's what comes out of a man that makes him clean or unclean not what goes in meaning your thoughts meaning criticizing another person unfoundedly that's what makes you unclean not so much what you've eaten I don't know, I don't understand how scholars, people who teach in colleges, people who are pastors, can't see this. There's, I mean, I see it, I think it's very clear. And, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'm smarter than they are. That's not true. I think I am so much smarter than they are. <laughs> um, Let us turn, we'll continue that. Okay, so you have this whole passage about he's declared all foods clean or unclean. Um, That's one of the arguments about the dietary laws being eliminated. The other great passage that's used is Acts 10, 9 through 16. By the way, all these passages are outlined in the back of your programs. Uh, If you don't have time to look at it now, take your program home with you and study them there. this is Peter's vision the next day as the soldiers were traveling and approaching the city Peter went up to the rooftop to pray at about the 6th hour now he became very hungry and wanted to eat But while, now that might be a little bit of a, oh he's talking about eating he must be talking about food uh-uh. but while they were preparing something he fell into a trance he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet coming down lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all sorts of four-footed animals and reptiles and birds of the air. Now there's the clue right there. If it's a reptile, it's not going to be clean. If some of the animals were four-footed and some of the birds unclean. So he sees a vision of clean and unclean animals. A voice came to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Certainly not, Lord, for never have I eaten anything unholy or unclean. Again a voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, you must not consider unholy. This happened three times. And the sheep was immediately taken up to heaven. A lot of people again will apply this to uh, food. That God has made all foods clean. That's not what this passage is about. This passage is about him meeting with Cornelius, who was a Gentile, a Gentile believer, but still a Gentile. And the whole concept is that Jews and Gentiles did not mix. The purpose of that was that God was saying, don't mingle with them because then you'll start marrying their children, you'll start uh, observing their gods, you'll, um, you know, so we were told when we uh, conquered the land for example, don't even bring any of their possessions in with you we were not to be contaminated by them the vision about what God has declared clean don't you say is unholy is not about food, it's about Gentiles and whether or not we can start mixing this is basically where if you want to Pinpoint some. This is where it began where Gentiles and Jews worshiping Yeshua can co mingle. This body is a wonderful, wonderful example of that. But it has nothing to do with eating. In fact, somebody once pointed out to me that there was about 10 years between the time Yeshua said, um, or supposedly declared that all things were clean, and that this happened. What we know about Peter, if Yeshua had declared all foods clean, he would have been the first person to run out and eat scalps wrapped in bacon. He would not have held back. He would, so for ten years he did not eat anything that was unclean shows that Yeshua never changed the laws. otherwise Peter would have been eating all kinds of food. I am losing my voice. Another misconception is that the holidays have been uh, done away with. For, and they haven't been. We have countless examples of the holidays being observed. Um, for example, in 1 Corinthians 5.8, we have sent the verse, therefore, let, and this is uh, Paul talking to the people in Corinth, which was a mixed multitude. You had a lot of, it was mostly Gentile, but you had some Jews there. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old chametz, the chametz of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread, the matzah of sincerity and truth. He's using an example, it was during Passover, and he was saying, let us celebrate the feast. He was expecting all the people, Jew and Gentile, to celebrate the feast. Um, ex- that was, that's important. That has to sink in a little bit. The idea that he is telling people, we are going to celebrate this feast together. Beek-boo. In Acts twenty sixteen, Paul is saying, Paul is hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Shavuot. Again, Paul did not abandon his Jewish customs, his Jewish life. He's rushing to get to Jerusalem in time for Shavuot. One of the days when all Jewish people were supposed to go to Jerusalem. Uh, There's also a reference in Acts 20, verse 6, there's a reference as, but we sailed for Philippi after the day of Matzah, which is after Passover, after the unleavened bread. So we have several holidays, several references that the holidays were still being observed by Paul and the others after the resurrection, after the ascension. So why the church did not continue this example and decided that these days are not for us any longer, it's more Constantine decided that 300 years after this was written, rather than following what Paul and the other disciples did. We also have a call to repentance. I mean, that's basic foundation. Repent for the kingdom is near, type of thing. Um... Acts 2.38, we have repent and let each of you be immersed, which is the mikveh. To repent you have to turn back. You have to return. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. He was talking to people, return to Torah. If you're going to be Torah observant, Or if you're going to repent, in order to repent, you have to be Torah observant. You have to be returning to the Torah. Again, in Acts 3.19, repent therefore and return so your sins might be blotted out. The Jewish person and also the Gentile is being told, be Torah observant. Let's look at Acts 2, 46 and 47. This is an example of Jewish life. Day by day, they continued with one mind, spending time at the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were sharing meals with gladness and sincerity and sincerity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord was adding to their number, those being saved. Again, they're going to the temple. They are not forming a church. They are not forming a different place. They're not doing um, practice. They're not praying in, um, in a new surrounding. They are praying in the temple. And they are of one mind. The so people are not being separated out Followers here, non-followers there. In Acts 3, one. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the time of prayer. That's Mincha. Peter and John were still following Mincha. They were still doing Jewish customs. Why we decided Jewish customs no longer apply, why the church has decided that, have to speak to them. In Acts twenty three, verse one, Paul looking intently at the Sanhedrin, said this is when he was being on he was on trial. He's looking at the Sanhedrin, and he says, brothers, which means he considers himself part of the body. I have lived my life in all good conscience for God up to this day. Again, he didn't um see uh, Yeshua on the road to Damascus and abandon his Jewishness. The biggest part of Jewish life is keeping the Torah. In Romans 2.13 we read, For it is not the hearers of Torah who are righteous before God, rather it is the doers of Torah who will be justified. Again we are given a Jewish life And we are told to obey Torah, to do it, not just hear it. That's one of the reasons why we're having a clothing drive. Because we are told to dress the naked. Throughout Torah we are told that the Lord is eternal. It doesn't change. Now you might be sitting here thinking, really what's the difference What's the difference if we call ourselves Jews or if we call ourselves Christians? You know, we're observing Yeshua. Does it really matter whether or not we give up being Jewish and become Christians? It's important because God has a plan and a role for Jewish people. And we cannot stop being Jews, we cannot lessen or decrease being Jewish. And we cannot stop being Gentiles who support Messianic Judaism and are called to make the non-believing Jews jealous. There's a plan that's unfolding. We, some of us point to what's happening in Paris yesterday as part of the approaching tribulation. More important for us to be Jewish believers than ever before. So here's the challenge: we are to live Jewishly more fully as followers of Yeshua Shabbat Shalom